Church, we're glad you're here today for joining us today in this time together. We've been in a very challenging series together called Different. And if you have been with us and you've come back, thank you, because it's been a really challenging series. And we're in a challenging topic today. So the first week, we were all about values, different values in an unholy culture. Second week, we were about calling in a dark world. And this week, before I tell you what it's about, let me just say, it might possibly be the most encouraging message you never wanted to hear. That this is all about perspective and persecution, perspective and persecution. So it's not one of those topics that we all just want to jump right in on and be a part of. Yay, persecute me. Uh, we're not really into that. Thanks for the clock, by the way. It's all working good up here. Appreciate that. Different perspective. Can you go to the next slide for me? <laughs> Different perspective in persecution. So, it's so different that we sometimes don't even read it for ourselves and let it sink in. Our culture has a way of flipping these words and these thoughts that Jesus says and the New Testament says in such a way where it seems like it doesn't really apply to us. And so it's a challenge for me to even try to get it to where it applies to us in our our comfort-filled, safe culture that there really is persecution. And so it really is something. Here's Jesus' words out of John chapter 15. He says this, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. That's a pretty solid statement about what is going to happen in his movement. And it's really amazing to me that not only is it a statement, it's a reality. And just in case uh, this is new to you, I want to share with you some statistics. So these are some statistics that are recent statistics from the World Watch List. Every month, on average, 345 Christians are killed for faith-related reasons. That's today, okay? 345 Christians are killed for faith-related reasons, and that's only the documentable ones. It's a lot higher than that. And then 105 churches and Christian buildings, I don't like their wording because I don't think there's such a thing as a Christian building. Um, <laughs> 105, but you know what it means. 105 churches and Christian buildings are burned or attacked, and 219 Christians are detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or, and imprisoned. So that's every month. And according to leaders, I just read a leader out of Britain saying that in some regions, the persecution is so strong, it is at genocide levels. It's a complete wipeout, completely wiping out whole sectors of all Christians in the area. And those kinds of things aren't even hitting some of these stats. And so it's pretty hot out there in other portions of the globe. And What I didn't realize probably 20 years ago, about 20 years ago, I thought that persecution was at its worst in the first century. That is not even the case at all. It's far worse now than it has ever been. Far more pervasively uh, persecution is taking place in other portions of the world. And it's starting to get a little hot here too, isn't it? And I'm not talking about hot in this room. Yeah, do you sense that a little bit? It's a little bit harder than it used to be to walk and live and express your faith in this culture. And so this is an important topic, and yet it's a hard one for us. Now, here's what Peter said, 
In chapter 4, verse 12, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. If you've been with us in the series, you know that things were heating up in their day. In the first century, Christians were being killed. Um, just like Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. It was happening. Uh, it was growing out of Rome during Nero while Peter is writing this and they're sensing this. And, if, and then the thing is, don't be surprised as if something strange were happening to you. Although we read it in Scripture, I keep running into, and you do too, people who are surprised that it's happening here. And Jesus said, don't be surprised. I find it interesting that these stats and these ideas are what they are because it verifies that Jesus has the ability to look into the future, just state a truth, and sure enough, it's happening. Did you know that followers of Jesus are persecuted to a greater degree than any other religious body of people in the globe. There, a third of the world's population claim to be followers of Jesus, and persecution is really prevalent. So it's, isn't it interesting? Why is it that other religious faiths are not persecuted to the same degree that this really large faith is persecuted in our globe? And Jesus said it would be so. Now, I have some theories about why that is, but before we get into those theories... I'm going to start with a reflect that is actually kind of a grabber. Here it is. It might be appropriate to say, don't worry when you're persecuted for your faith. Worry when you're not. Think about that. Jesus said, if you're following me, they hated me, they'll hate you. If you want to be my disciples, don't worry when... You're persecuted because they persecuted me. They will persecute you. So if you're not persecuted, maybe we need to worry about that a little bit. Now, I think there's a temptation in our comfort, saturated comfort, kingdom of me culture that's very plush and comfortable. It, it, we're tempted to go with the way of our culture. And so I think there's a tendency in our culture that we say, yeah, we're a follower of Jesus, and I, I love Jesus, I'm all for Jesus, I believe in Jesus, and yet we watch Jesus in other places on the forefront, on the battlefront out there with those really close followers of his, and we cheer them on, whoa, I really like what you're doing, I really stand behind what you're doing, and that's really great that you're doing that, and they're experiencing persecution, and we keep our distance. And we would rather just pray all our safe little prayers, God protect me, give me safety today, guard me, keep me from all harm, and, and we cover ourselves with this kingdom of me bubble of protection, and we're really comfortable there. In 2015, we did a series here, we were tracking with another preacher series, we, we said the series title was Not a Fan, and he was talking about how he's not a fan of Jesus. He's a follower. And there's a difference. A fan of Jesus stands apart from Jesus as if they're in the grandstands while Jesus is in the game. He's in the fray. He's in the battle. And we stand in the grandstands just cheering him on, totally believing him. He's our team. Go, go. Yes, let's go. We're, and there's a lot of people with him. Yay, good for you. We really believe in that. But we're on the sidelines and we're not in the game. 
So one of the possibilities of why we might not experience persecution is that we're not particularly different. We fit really well in our culture. And that's maybe when we should worry. Maybe we fit a little too well in our culture. Our culture says, you know, the right thing to do is let him believe what he believes and her believe what she believes and over there, their group is okay too. In fact, all religions are equally right. That's impossible because they're equally opposed in contradictory belief systems. So they cannot be equally right. So here's the faith that we are in. It is good news. The Lord Jesus Christ has invited everyone to allow their lives to be washed clean by something he did on the cross. He invites everyone to join with him and allow his atoning work to be so effective that now the Spirit of God and his resurrection life can enter into our very being and set us free from those things that are messing us over. He's invited everyone. You'd think everyone would want to be on board. And yet... This open invitation that is to everyone is a personal invitation from Jesus only. And once I start saying that, people get angry. And they get angry saying things like, your views are too narrow. Do you really think the rest of the population, because they don't know Jesus, they're going to hell forever? And say, yeah, I believe that, but it's not me saying it. I'm following the Lord Jesus Christ and I've come, become convinced that he really did rise from the dead and I've become convinced that the things he claimed are, are credible and I've become convinced that he has hope for me and because I believe in what he says, he believes that there really are demons, there really is a kingdom of darkness and he really has come to set us free from the kingdom of darkness and there really is a Satan who is the prince of this world that's shrouded in darkness, that's ripping us up and tearing us apart and tearing families apart and messing with our insides and making us want all the wrong things. And he says, if you will connect with me, I'll set you free. This is good news. But here's the metaphor. And so you have to think kind of like metaphor. Imagine a burning house over here, and I know it's burning down, but the person inside does not know it's on fire. So in the story, the reason they don't know it's on fire is they're asleep. And I know they're asleep, and I go, I gotta rush in there. So if I'm gonna be like Jesus, I'm willing to rush in there, fill my nostrils with smoke, rush in there, find that person, wake them up, shout, scream, do something to wake them out of their slumber and show them out of the burning house. But when we shift from story to what we're comparing it to and a person does not have Jesus Christ in their life and I believe they need Jesus to move from wherever we are to where God wants us to be, which is our purpose statement as a church, doesn't just mean take any old step you want. Take any old step that you think works for you. I'm into this kind of approach to God. No, what we're saying here, let me be really clear, let me be really bold, is the only way from here, wherever I am in this open invitation, is by the personal invitation from Jesus only. 
And it takes Jesus to walk from where I am messed up to enter into a relationship that is a peace with me and God when I was formerly at odds with God. Through Jesus, I can enter into a peace with God only with Jesus. When I start saying that kind of thing, ooh, it becomes uncomfortable. It's like the guy who I'm waking up says, I don't believe I'm in a house that's burning down. How dare you try to wake me up? I like my house just like it is. They don't use the metaphor, but that's what they're saying to me. And if I love them, I'm going to continue to try to wake them up. And they hate it or love it. Jesus never went for middle ground. He always went, you're either going to reject me and hate me, or you're going to love me and turn to me. If you were in the middle ground, he would force the issue to have you decide, who do you think I am? And I've become convinced, and so I need to be a little bit more like Jesus. Let me just tell you about Jesus. He is full of grace and full of truth. The Gospel of John tells us this. Now, I've heard over and over again from many different settings, and sometimes maybe I've even leaned there a little bit, and I'm thinking, ah, no. I've heard different leaders say, if I have to err on one side or the other, grace or truth, I'm going to err on the side of grace. And a lot of churches are approaching life and relationships trying to err on the side of grace. You know what? If I'm following close to the guy who's full of grace and truth, I'd rather not err. I would rather be more like Jesus. I would like to be like Jesus, full of grace and full of truth, and live in that tension because it is a tension. Boy, it's tense there because a person needs to hear the truth. You're in trouble right now. You're walking away from God right now. You're destroying yourself right now, and they were going to say, don't judge me. I'm not trying to judge you. I love you. That's why I'm saying this, full of grace, full of truth. How do you live that out? How do you enter in, get that smoke in your nostrils and enter into that messy situation and rescue them? This tension is not easy to resolve. We have messes around here all the time. How do we love and embrace and help them recognize this is all wrong? This is messed up in your life. When they feel like saying that is judgmental. I'm not trying to judge you. I'm trying to help you. Full of grace, full of truth. I only think there's one way to get there, and that's get so close to Jesus. You're depending on Jesus so much that he kind of tips you off what to say, what to do, when to say it, when to shut up. (laughs) Love this person, right? He's the one that's leading this. Just like when he was on earth, full of grace, full of truth, he constantly got up early in the morning to be with his father, to depend on his father. He would say things like, I only say what my father says to say. I only do what my father says to do. I only do what my father is doing. He was in this, showing us how this depending and staying close to what the father's doing, establishing his kingdom on earth is all about. So, I believe there really is a kingdom of darkness. Why? Jesus believed this. It's credible. I believe there really is a battle. And I believe he has called us, if we're followers, to enter in, to enlist, to be a part of helping people move from here to there. So here's some other things to reflect on 
Are you praying boldly to make a difference? Now, the reason I write this down is my comfort culture is causing me to buy into lies and I don't even see it. If I listen to my own prayers long enough, if I'm not careful, my own prayers start to look like, how my grandkids always have a wonderful, great life and safe and keep them from every illness and keep me and my wife together and lift all this illness and lift this goodness and allow this blessing, help us to experience no pain and suffering, blah, blah, blah. It's like, if that's my only list, it's like, what about the target list? What about the mission? It's not the kingdom of me in America that I want God to bless. I'm supposed to be praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. He has a mission for me. He's saying, follow me. That was last week. He's calling us. Follow me. We have a mission together. Are you offering your gifts and talents and resources to further God's kingdom? Are you helping anyone else take steps from wherever they are to where God wants them to be? Have you talked about your faith to someone who does not share your faith? You do these things and guess what happens? It gets uncomfortable fast. It feels like persecution, even in our country. It might not be you're going to be killed, but you may not be liked. You won't be popular. They used to invite you over. Now they don't. You know, that kind of persecution. But it's all on a spectrum of persecution. You ready to write down some notes? Uh, If you're ready to write down some notes, point number one is this. The Jesus movement is not a playground, but a battleground. Sometimes we think, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, make everything work for me. I I want this promotion, I want this job, I want better income, I want this, I want that. That's a playground. It's the kingdom of me still. We just want to add Jesus to it. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You enlisted in the battleground. There's a clash of kingdoms here. Go and make disciples. Teach them everything that I've taught you. I will be with you always. I've been given all authority and I'm handing my authority to you. Enter into the battle. Can you imagine? Let's just say we signed up for the army and the army trains us with a gun, trains us with battle tactics, trains us in every way and then we, let's just say there is a a battle that we're called to engage in and we're in the battle and we go, they're shooting at me and we run to the sarge, 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 they're shooting at me. I wasn't expecting this. And the Sarge goes, what were you expecting? It is war, and you enlisted. You were trained for this. Of course they're shooting at you. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's calling us to engage in his mission. 1 Peter 4.13 says, Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. We don't think like this. Be glad for suffering and partners with Christ in his suffering. What's that about? Well, he has a mission. Join me in this mission. I suffered for you. I'm asking you to suffer with me. It's not, it's not done yet. Come suffer with me. We're not used to thinking this way. In the early 90s, I was introduced to a verse that just flipped my mind. Turned my heart. It's become my life verse. It's the strangest life verse you ever pick. Here's Colossians 1.24 that says this. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, let me just give you the easy interpretation first, and then we've got to 
go to the hard one. It's like, whoa, what, what is this about? But the easy one is this. I am ready to suffer for you because you are worth it. That's the easy part. That makes perfect sense. I'm your pastor. I'm ready to go to bat for you because you are worth it. You are so worth it, God sent his son to die for you. And he's saying, you want to follow me? Then sign up with me. You need to pay the price and be willing to pay the price because they're worth it. The church is worth it. The body of Christ is worth it. So many pastors are bailing. They quit because they think it's not worth it. Absolutely not worth it. They hate me. In the 90s, I needed this verse. Actually, I still need this verse. We all need this verse because it's not a pastor's verse. It's a verse for followers. Now, the hardest thing is to figure out that middle line. Now, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. My theological brain goes, zing, zing, zing. What could possibly be lacking with Christ's afflictions? I mean, he, his suffering was 100% sufficient because he's the son of man, son of God, sufficient to save the entire globe for the entire history of the universe. He's the son of God who offers himself to save us. He offers himself voluntarily so that he can absorb our sin and release us from our sin. His suffering was 100% sufficient. But then Paul says, what is still lacking? How could it be 100% sufficient for that if there's a lack? And Paul says, I'm signing up to fill in the gap. Because there is a gap between then and now. And there are links in that gap. And there's always somebody who takes the message of sufficiency in the blood sacrifice of Jesus to save somebody. There's always somebody that has to take that message and stand in the gap and it will cost you something. It always does. My parents were the ones that stood in that gap for me. They filled up in their flesh what was still lacking with regard to Christ's afflictions and they carried a burden for their son, Jimmy, and sometimes it was a burden. They would pray for me, for my heart to shift and change and walk with God and be filled with God and think like God and be more like Jesus and I was more like a hellion, right? It always takes somebody to serve and love and care for and carry a burden to bring them to the message of the cross where it just takes. It doesn't come out of the sky. Oh, yeah. I was just daydreaming one day and I think Jesus died on the cross for me. I mean, I suppose it can work that way, but that would be really a plan B. His plan A is through the church, filling up in their flesh what is still lacking and being willing to follow so close to Jesus, our heart beats just like him for those people that are in the burning house. And we say, we need to go in. They're going down. And we establish relationship. We love them. We're full of grace. We're full of truth. And we're bringing it to them. We're trying to get them out even though they don't even want to come out. We're praying and we're praying and we're praying and we're trying over a process of time that they would come out of the burning house because we're talking about forever here. I need to show you two cycles, and I still slip into the wrong cycle. A comparison of the comfort cycle versus the bold cycle. The temptation in our world, especially in America, in wealthy America, where we can buy this comfort, we can live this comfort, we're aiming for it every day, it's all about the kingdom of me and self. Our whole purpose is to have a happy life. 
And so we pursue comfort and we avoid opposition. I don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation with him. He just would hate me for it. I said, let's just be quiet. Maybe someday he'll ask. So I avoid the opposition, never say anything. Somehow they'll just, oh, he always leaves the garage on Sunday morning. I think he goes to church. Who is supposed to read my mind? You know, that doesn't work like that. And avoid opposition, which my faith weakens, and then my life is purposeless. It's all about me, and I just feel empty inside. It's like, this Jesus thing is not working for me. Why? You're avoiding following Jesus. You aren't really following him, living boldly, facing that opposition, entering into burning houses because you love somebody that's so different than you. They might not even be nice. And your faith is strengthened because you go, how do I do this, God? You hung on the cross for me, and they don't like me. How do I love them? How do I bless them? Even though they're my enemy. You keep asking Christ to help you. You get closer to Christ in the process. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. Bless them this way. I want you to do this now. Now. And you bless that person. You're living in this bold cycle. You're actually living in this strengthening, closer to Jesus cycle where you're getting bolder and bolder and bolder. And it's like, whoa! You're seeing and experiencing kingdom stuff because you're beating with the heartbeat of Jesus. Now, That's just a description. In our culture, I still slip into, I would rather be liked. They're not going to like it that I'm a preacher. So I kind of go wait for them to ask. Right? And then when they ask, uh, what do you do? Well, I'm a preacher of Verde Valley Christian Church. And they go, whatever. It's like, I got the cue. All right. So what am I supposed to do there? It's like, well, love them and keep loving them and kind of bust up their box of what they think it means to be a preacher or in your case, what they think it means to be a Christian when they do that to you because they will. It's like, ugh. You can, how do you, how's it, you can even believe that stuff? Really, how stupid can you get? And you go, you could start to argue and then it all goes in the wrong place. So just like Jesus, depending on the Father, we depend on Jesus. The only way to be full of grace and full of truth is to be so close to Jesus, we know when to do grace. We know when to do truth. We know how to put those two together because Jesus is leading us. We're becoming closer and closer to the heart of Jesus and how we approach these very complicated, smoky, messy, burning houses. Point number two. Do what is right and trust God with the results. Do what is right and trust God with the results. So you did something right and you didn't get the promotion. You did something right and you were passed over. You did something right and you didn't get the raise. You did something right and it just seems unfair. Just keep doing what is right and trust Jesus. No shortcuts. No corner cutting. Here's what Peter said. So if you are suffering in the manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. No shortcuts, no cutting the corners, and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. If I'm grace only, I'm going to err on the side of the grace, I'm taking shortcuts, I'm cutting corners, and the truth is not getting into the person, and I need to be not full of grace in a truthless way. Neither am I supposed to be full of truth in a graceless way. No shortcuts. Keep doing what is right. Be like Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. Do what's right. And if you're persecuted for it, keep doing what's right, full of truth and full of grace. Don't just shut up because they're angry at you. 
full of truth and full of grace, live boldly in dependence upon Jesus. Now, I don't know what that looks like for every circumstance. That's why you really need to get close to Jesus in your prayer time and in your depending and your asking and walking with Jesus and asking the Holy Spirit to lead you in this full of grace and full of truth. Here's a reflect. We are different. We do what is right and trust God with the results. Stop taking shortcuts. But it works. Stop taking shortcuts. This makes me happy. Stop taking shortcuts. Don't cut the corners. Follow Jesus. Point number three. Meanwhile, I want you to do this because you know this, and I'm going to tell you what to do and what to know, and then I'm going to go two layers. So there are a couple things to do, a couple things to know is where we're going with this. Meanwhile, do this because you know this. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Give all your worries and cares to God. Do this. Give all your worries and cares to God. Now, if you're persecuted, this is really, really important. Do give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. But this also covers that one list that we think, if that's your only list, it's not going far enough. It's okay to take this list where you pray for safety, pray for well-being, pray for your illness to be gone, pray for those things. It's okay there, but that better not be your only list, was what I was saying before. Yet, God cares about all those things. I'm not saying don't do that. He cares about you. Do this. Pray this, because he loves you. He loves the small things. He loves the big things. Take it all to him. Do this. He cares for you. But then he says this in verse 10. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. If you haven't been in this series with us, I challenge you to read the little letter, 1 Peter. If you haven't done that yet, I challenge you to do it still, even though we're coming to a conclusion here. If this is your first day, I would challenge you to go back and read the whole letter of 1 Peter. I've been just bringing highlights. And look for the term foundation. Look for how Jesus is the, he's one of two things. He's either the cornerstone that the building is built on or the stone that you trip over. He, you're either going to trip over him and be offended by him and reject him, or you are going to accept him as the foundation, the very firm foundation stone for your whole life. And if you'll accept him as your firm foundation stone, he says, you'll suffer for a little while, but he will restore you, he will support you, he will strengthen you, he will put you in a firm foundation. I talked about genocide earlier. I talked about persecution earlier. Literally, family members are being killed in front of family members. That's horrible. What about the firm foundation? What about the support? What about the strengthening? It's there. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and earth have been given to me. Go make disciples. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is forever. And if death is the persecution result in your life, the firm foundation is forever. There's only one firm foundation that's a forever firm foundation. It's the forever Jesus Christ who came and took death and sin away, was resurrected never to be crucified or killed or be able to die again. He conquered death, not just for himself, but everybody who allows his holiness to cover over us, take our sins away, and his resurrection life to enter into us and propel us on an eternal kind of life that begins today. Walk with Jesus. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will restore you. I will support you. I will strengthen you. I will place you on a firm foundation. He needs to say all these things because it gets dark 
It gets hot. It gets hard. Keep following. I'll give you everything you need. Would you pray with me? Here's how we're going to finish today. Dear God, forgive us for all the time we've spent seeking comfort instead of boldly seeking you. You are all we need. Thank you for your constant grace. We give our worries and cares to you. Amen. Stand with me. I'd love for you to make this your prayer. Let's pray it as if we're declaring it with gusto. I don't even know what that is. Say it loudly with me. Ready? Dear God, forgive us for all the time we've spent seeking comfort instead of boldly seeking you. You are all we need. Thank you for your constant grace. We give our worries and cares to you. Amen. All right, I need to lighten this up a little bit, but we're going into a whole new series next week, and it's a perfect message that segues into that series. The series is called I Choose, and the topic will be introduced in a 30-second video. Here it is. Good evening. What may I get started for you? Hmm. I'm thinking about getting the approval of others. Should I? Oh, definitely. I'll have that. Excellent choice. It comes with 2,000 Facebook likes. And for you, Matt? Well, I will also have the approval of others, but on a bigger, much nicer plate than hers. Uh, oh, can I get the likes and followers? Of course. Two popularity specials, one with comparison and one without. I'll get that started for you and also bring out a basket of selfie sticks. Yes, yes please. <laughs> All right, so next week is on purpose over popularity. I choose, and what are you going to choose? You're going to choose purpose over popularity that follows really well from today. You may have a heavy that you're dealing with, and the thing that I've been saying just sounds so heavy, you feel like it's trite. Don't feel like it's trite. There are a prayer team to the right of the stage here. Go get some prayer for whatever it is that's heavy for you. God bless you. See you next week.